welcome to Orphan Entertainment, the podcast dedicated to public domain and abandoned media. I'm your host, Christopher, and I spy with my little eye a co-host named Lydia. Do-do-do-do. Not that kind of spy. <laughs> Hi, Hi Lydia. How you doing? Hi. I'm great. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. I am looking forward to discussing a fun film again this month. Ooh, me as well. And I hope you are all looking forward to hearing us discuss this fun film this month. <laughs> if uh, not, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> how did you accidentally... Say, so, Don't turn it off. It could, it'll get... How <laughs> in the world did you accidentally end up on our website? That's a lot of letters to accidentally type. That is. We must have followed a good link. <laughs> exactly. Well, if you're not listening on the website, hopefully you're, you're subscribing to either iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or Google Play. And if you are, I encourage you to please go ahead and leave a small a rating and a review in any of those outlets. The, the more ratings and reviews we get, the easier it is for other people to find us on those outlets. So that would always be awesome if you could do that. Also remind or also let you know that we have a Facebook group. Go to facebook.com slash groups slash Orphan Entertainment. You can find us there. We've had a few, uh, few additional members join in the last couple of weeks, so that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Welcome and thank you. Yes. Uh, we have a YouTube channel that you should subscribe to and see many of the films that we have covered here in the past. And then you can go and listen to hear, to hear our thoughts on those films. I usually try to post uh, the movie that we're going to discuss well, usually about a, a month or a couple of weeks prior to, uh, to when the episode drops. So you've got plenty of time to watch it before we listen to us. If you have any feedback or anything, you can send that to orphanentertainment at gmail.com. You can uh, record a message, save it as an MP3 or a WAV file, something like that, or just go ahead and do the old-fashioned type it out. But who does that anymore? Come on. <laughs> Me. <laughs> I'm totally old school. I'm old school. I email. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> What I what I often do if I decide to uh, leave any feedback or send a, a voicemail to another podcast, I have to type it out first. And then, and then I read, read it, it. <laughs> yeah. and record it. Otherwise, and send you do it. like I do in Babel, right? Exactly. <laughs> no, no, no one wants five minutes of and 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 um and, um, oh, yeah, um, uh, and. Uh, <laughs> there was something else I was going to say. <laughs> I know it was good. I'll call you back when I remember. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> all right, we're already kind of going goofy here, so let's go ahead and take a little break. We'll listen to a five-minute mystery and a promo for another podcast, and Lydia and I will compose ourselves. And when we get back, we're going to uncover 1936's Secret Agent. Another five-minute mystery. be a big case we're headed for, Inspector. Well, you're right in the way, Stokes. I've known old Sherry, a man who's been murdered, for a long time. Isn't he the guy who owned a lot of diamonds? Yes, he had several very valuable ones in his collection. And I think somebody killed Sherry for those diamonds. Any idea who? We'll find that out after we get inside. Hello, Inspector Crothers. I'm glad you got here so soon. Oh, hello, Dr. Matthews. I brought Sergeant Stokes along to help. Fine. Come on in, won't you? 
The man who phoned me, Mr. Sears, is in the study where they found Sherry. Yeah, we'll come along after you, Doctor. Inspector Crothers, this is Mr. Sayers who found Mr. Sherry unconscious when he came in. How do you do, Mr. Sayers? Holy Moses, look at this place. Looks as though a cyclone had struck it. Now, um, tell us what happened, won't you, Mr. Sayers? I'd like to get the story straight. Well, in a very confidential capacity, I represent a large diamond-buying syndicate. Mr. Sherry was known to have a very extensive collection of gems, one specimen in particular that our firm wanted to buy. And you were sent to see if he would sell it? That's right. I made an appointment with Mr. Sherry for this evening. He said to come here and that he might be back here in the study and not hear the bell. If no one answered, I was to come right in. He would leave the door unlocked for me. Isn't that a rather strange thing for a man to do who has a valuable collection of diamonds in his house? Well, I thought so at the time, but I thought also that Mr. Sherry was perhaps, well, eccentric. You see, I'd never met him, nor as a matter of fact, heard of him until yesterday. I come from another part of the country, you see. And he was alone. Completely. You can imagine how shocked I was at finding Mr. Sherry lying on the floor by the desk, unconscious and the room all upset. When Mr. Sayers phoned me, I imagined that Sherry was suffering from one of his chronic attacks. However, I find that the man has been hit at the base of the skull by a powerful blow, breaking his neck and killing him instantly. You say you are familiar with Mr. Sherry's chronic attacks, Doctor? Yes, I've been Mr. Sherry's personal physician for many years. That was why I phoned Dr. Matthews, Inspector. I knew that he would be able to offer the best help. Mr. Sayers, your theory is a very nicely calculated one. In fact, I would have acted on it if it hadn't been for one thing. As it is, though, I'm holding you for the murder of Mr. Sherry and for the attempted theft of his diamond collection. What mistake did Sayers make that caused the inspector to hold him on a definite charge of murder? In just a moment, we'll tell you, but first... Emergency. Batman speaking. Warning all of you to brace yourselves for big news. The biggest. Tell them, Robin. Holy surprises, Batman. It's really exciting. Greetings, citizens. Join me, your old bat chum, John S. Drew, on my journey to discover what it is I love about the classic 1966 Batman television series on the Batcave podcast. Each episode, I'm joined by a guest host as we review the classic television series there's a new episode every two weeks same bat time same bat channel on itunes stitcher radio or at the batcavepodcast.com holy memoranda folks make a note not to miss it good thinking robin and now back to our five minute mystery hold me for murder why, Inspector, I told you... I know, Mr. Sayers, you told me a little too much. When you said you had never met Sherry, nor heard of him until a day ago, everything was fine. But when you said you called his personal physician purposely, you caught yourself. If you knew nothing about Sherry, you couldn't have known who his personal physician was. Hey, Inspector, that's pretty clever. Pretty clever. <laughs> Welcome back. 
A Secret Agent, 1936 British film, directed by Alfred Hitchcock. I think this will be the third Hitchcock film that we've covered. It, it is uh, loose. This one is loosely based on two stories in The Ashton or The British Agent, by W. Somerset Maham. Maham? Maham Magam. Maham. I'm going with Maham. Maham? <laughs> M-A-U-G-H-A-M. Maham. Maham. <laughs> Somebody will correct us, I'm sure. Uh, I hope so. <laughs> the film stars Madeline Carroll, Peter Laurie, John Gielgud, and Robert Young. The lovely Elsa here is Madeline Carroll. Uh, just on a side note, she and I share a birthday of, of February 26th. <laughs> I thought that was kind of cool. Happy birthday to both of you. <laughs> <laughs> she actually went into teaching after graduating from the University of Birmingham. But while going to school there, she was involved in several drama productions. And this was enough to convince her that teaching really wasn't her thing, and she left the career to, to pursue acting. She did a variety of stage performances and eventually found her way to film, making her film debut in The Guns of Luz in 1928. Eventually, Carol attracted the attention of Alfred Hitchcock and in 1935 starred in The 39 Steps, which we covered few years ago now. A while ago. Love that movie. Great yep. movie. Very good movie. Carol became very popular with both filmmakers and audiences. At the peak of her, of her success, she was the highest paid actress in the world, earning $250,000, which in today's money is a little over $4 million, in 1938. Uh, she worked in the U.S. and Britain and did her last film, The Fan, in 1949. Yeah, I remember us uh, really liking her in 39 Steps, so it'll be interesting to see what we think of her in this. Oh, yeah, she's phenomenal. Now, our leading man here, who plays Edgar Brody or and or Richard Ashenden, is John Gielgud. He was an actor and theater director whose career spanned eight decades. He, and he's phenomenal. Oh, he's just, I love him in this. <laughs> he's a ph phenomenal actor, period. I, he's he just, is. He's one of those people that can take a stage or a screen and just control it, I think. Yeah, well, it is interesting looking up a little bit on him. He did a lot of stage production. It sounds like he, he was mm -hmm. lauded as the best Hamlet ever to grace the British stage, which is obviously, you know, that's the character you want to play if you're an actor. So, And, and then, of course, he continued acting well, in, well until 2000 when he passed away, which is phenomenal. 76 years of acting on the, on the film. Yeah, amazing. Which is amazing. Along with uh, Ralph Richardson and Laurence Olivier, he was one of the trio of actors who dominated the British stage for much of the 20th century. During the first half of his career, Gilgood did not take cinema very seriously. He didn't make his, uh, or he he made his first film in 1924 and had some successes along with like the, the Good Companions in 33 and Julius Caesar in 1953, but he didn't did not begin a regular film career until his 60s. In his career, Gilgood had the distinction of winning an Oscar, an Emmy, a Grammy, and a Tony. <laughs> oh, wow. And he was also knighted in 1953. Mm -hmm. So it's Sir John Gilgood. Yes. I have to admit, probably my first John Gilgood film was uh, Arthur with mm -hmm. Dudley Moore. Well, and he's, he's just, if you go through the list, he's in so many things that you've seen. And mm -hmm. he's just, I think the second he steps onto the screen in this movie, he's just... He, like you said, he has a presence, and you just really want to watch him. He's yeah, phenomenal to watch. I was uh, kind of interested to when the when the credits roll. He actually gets like third billing in the credits at the <laughs> beginning of the film. Well, this is a new film. Uh, this is a pretty new 
is his fifth film, I think it was. So he yeah, wasn't that's necessarily true. He was a little newer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, super well known yet. Now we got another couple more actors here. Peter Lorre, yeah, of course, who plays the general. He, he, he began his stage career in Vienna before moving to Germany, where he worked first on the stage and then in film in the late 1920s and early 1930s. Lorre caused an international sensation in the German film M in 1931, which was directed by Fritz Lang, in which he played. Pre- in which he portrayed a serial killer who preys on children. He's he is so interesting. He, he's just he's so interesting because this is the guy that anytime you hear anybody anyone talking like this, you know that they're doing a Peter Lorre because he's the original guy <laughs> in all of his screen. I, I can't even do it right now, but he, you know he's kind of got that like I don't yes. know creepy kind of voice, and he's like he is the one that's known for that and. You see people in later films doing something similar to that, but he's the original Mm -hmm. one that does it. Well, Peter Lorre left Germany when Adolf Hitler came to power. His first English-language film was Alfred Hitchcock's The Man Who Knew Too Much in 1934. Eventually settling in Hollywood, he appeared in many Hollywood crime and mystery films. He had eight motion pictures between 1937 and 1939, playing Mr. Modo, the Japanese detective, and from 1941 to 1946, he mainly worked for Warner Brothers. His first film at Warner Brothers was The Maltese Falcon in 1941. Mm-hmm. This was followed by Casablanca in 1942. Laurie's other films include Frank, Frank Capra's Arsenic and Old Lace and Disney's <laughs> 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. <laughs> Towards the end of his career, he worked with Roger Corman on several low-budget films, including two of the Corman's Edgar Allan Poe films, Tales of Terror, with Vincent Price and Basil Rathbone, and The Raven, which was in 1963, again with Vincent Price, as well as <laughs> Boris Karloff and Jack Nicholson. Wow, that's crazy. I didn't even realize that. Oh, he worked with a lot of incredible names. You know, it's funny. I didn't know much about Peter Lorre other than being sort of that the, the sidekick character mm-hmm. or the, the bit player character. The skulky guy, yeah. And I had no, I honestly really had no idea he had a lot of, you know, starring roles in other films. I'm kind of going to make it sort of a quest of mine to go back and watch some of these things where he's actually, you know, center stage. I like mm-hmm. the, the Mr. Motos and things like that. Because I'd be very interested to see him in these, uh, in something a little bit like this film where he plays such a big role. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Well, and and like he's easy to put as a side character. So for him to be a main character is something you really want to see. Yeah, absolutely. Now, one more actor we want to talk about, which honestly is most of the cast. This is a very small cast film. <laughs> Robert Young, who Ugh. plays the flirtatious Mr. Marvin. Mad crush in- on Robert Young. <laughs> 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 the first thing I ever saw him in was um, The Stowaway with Shirley Temple, and he plays a millionaire okay. kind of playboy. He's phenomenal. He's got those classic good looks like Richard Green, and you just want it. Like, he's the guy that every girl would fall for because he's flirty and he's sharp and mm-hmm. ad- adorable, of course. So, ladies, if you haven't seen this, watch it. He's so cute. <laughs> Well, Mr. Young appeared in over 100 films between 1931 and 1952, most of them as a contract player with MGM. As a contract player, Young had to accept any film assigned to him or risk being placed on suspension, and many actors on suspension were prohibited from earning a salary from any endeavor at all, even those unrelated to the film industry. How's that for having something in your contract? You don't want to be an actor? (laughs) You can't be a barista or a waiter or anything. 
After his contract ended at MGM, Young starred in light comedies as well as dramas for studios such as 20th Century Fox, United Artists, and RKO, RKO Radio Pictures. By the mid-50s, his film career declined. A big feature on the small screen soon followed. Young took a character that he had done for several years on radio, that of Father Knows Best insurance salesman Jim Anderson, and brought him to television. He and his co-star Jane Wyatt won several Emmy Awards during its run from 1954 to 1960. Young's final television series was Marcus Welby, M.D., which ran from 1969 to 1976. Co-starring a young James Brolin, by the way. (laughs) This show earned Young an Emmy for Best Leading Actor in a Drama Series, and up to the late 1980s, he also made numerous television commercials for Sanka Coffee. (laughs) Despite his trademark portrayal of happy, well-adjusted characters, Young had a bitterness toward Hollywood casting, and he suffered from depression and alcoholism, culminating in a suicide attempt in 1991. He later spoke very candidly about his personal problems in an effort to encourage others to seek help. The Robert Young Community Mental Health Center is named after him in honor of his work toward passage of the 708 Illinois Tax Referendum, which established a property tax to support mental health programs in his home state. The center started in Rock Island, Illinois, and now has sites in both uh, Illinois and Iowa. He has three stars on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, one (laughs) for film... Uh, one for television and one for radio. So that is, I'm kind of, I had to throw like the end of his career in there because so many of these, you know, you find out these great actors and they're they're popular and they do good, and then they have this these horrid endings. Yeah, and this guy, exactly. I think. It, it, it looked like it was going that way. I know. I got <laughs> nervous he, while you were explaining it. I thought, oh, no. Not, <laughs> not another downer. Not him. He's so cool. <laughs> yeah. But That's he really, awesome. he turned it around and, and, and kind of uh, focused his energies and uh, to, to help other people. And I think that's fantastic. Well done, Robert. I have a little tiny bit of interesting trivia, actually. Uh, when I saw that, I saw that it was based on a book by Mogham, or however you want to say it. It's interesting. So I, I did a little digging, and it turns out he actually was a British intelligence agent during World War One, And the stories oh, that he wrote were based on his experiences. So um, the book, Ashenden, is, you know, as you said, a compilation of short stories. Apparently, Winston Churchill encouraged him to burn 14 other stories that he had written. Apparently, they were too close to the truth. And uh, yeah, some of his stories actually are based around real life people like Mata Hari, who was an exotic dancer that we hear mentioned in passing. But when you look into her, it's very interesting. So uh, the man who wrote this actually had dealings with some of the most famous and well-known spies during World War One. So it's really, it, that made me enjoy the movie so much more because I'd seen it many times. I had it on a compilation disc from Alfred Hitchcock. And knowing that this is actually based on some real things that probably happened makes it, makes it all that more interesting to watch. Oh, absolutely. I had no idea. I didn't get a chance to, <laughs> unfortunately, I, we only do this once a month. You'd think I'd have time to maybe do a little uh, <laughs> more digging, but no, I didn't I didn't dig into the actual short stories or anything or find out any trivia on that, and that's very interesting. It is. It reminds me very much of Ian Fleming, the, the, the James Bond author, who also did very similar thing, that he, you know, he worked for the government. He, he wrote about um, real spies, you mm-hmm. know, and he sort of weaved them into the James Bond stories. So you ready to get into the film here? I am. Let's go. All right. The film opens and shows us a date of May 10th, 1916. So we do know that we are deep into World War I. 
and we open with onto a funeral of a fallen soldier. Uh, we hear from conversation that this soldier died in his sleep very suddenly. Apparently came home from leave, uh, fit as a fiddle, but a chill took him. Well, after everyone leaves, the last man goes about dismantling the casket after lighting a cigarette on one of the candles and everything. Uh, but as he's dismantling the candle, he does it rather roughly. Uh, granted, he only has one arm, but <laughs> he literally just knocks the casket and everything over, which turns out to be empty. This is one of my favorite scenes. You have a guy with one man, one arm who walks over and picks up a casket with his one arm, and it's empty, of course. Well, next we see London during a bombing. Uh, the soldier, whose funeral we just witnessed, uh, steps into a, an office and meets a man who calls himself R. This soldier, Edgar Brody, is as surprised as anyone to find out that he's dead. <laughs> and he, he wants some answers. Brody... Now, Richard Ashton has been selected to be an undercover agent. Now, Germany is making every effort at the moment to buy up the Arabs. Tell me, do you love your country? Well, I've just died for it. And you can't guess why? I suppose I'm waiting for you to tell me. Well, these areas always upset the goldfish. I never know what to do with them. Here are your passports. One British, one American. You have the reputation of being a shrewd observer of life, Ashenden. Ashenden, me? Yes, you. The late lamented Brodie was much too well known for our present purpose. Hey, what are you driving at? Ashenden is going to Switzerland to locate a certain German agent who is leaving for Arabia very shortly via Constantinople. Description? None. Well, that's helpful. But your predecessor, rest his soul... In his last message said he thought he was staying at the Hotel Excelsior. I want you to go there. Now, in this envelope is the name of a man playing for both sides who may help you to find him. When I have found him? That sounded just like a pistol shot, didn't it? Report to me and you'll be given further instruction. I love the line in this where uh, R asks, do you love your country? And Ashenden says, well, I've just died for it. <laughs> oh, yes, that's a great one. <laughs> How do you like line. that, though, that the, <laughs> the government will just kill you well, and just assume that, yes, you'll be our spy? It's you kind of like wonder, working... <laughs> what if he had said no? <laughs> it's sort of like working for a studio. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. Well, R and Ashington uh, head downstairs, and on their way, they hear a woman scream. Woman comes running up the stairs and tells R that she'd rather face the bombs than be in a cellar with some people. Enter the general, who, like I said, played by Peter Lorre. He introduces himself and quickly runs off in search of the young woman. And I kept trying to get his name, how he introduced himself. It's about a dozen <laughs> names. <laughs> general Pompilio Montezuma de la Brigade del Conde de Longu, very pleased. It's, yeah, it's, uh, Colonel the something the papillon papillon something the something the something the something, <laughs> and it's yeah you're right it's literally a half dozen names. Yeah. Call him the 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 bald the bald the, Mexican the hairless Mexican because he's got a lot of hair <laughs> and he's not Mexican. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, and call yeah, and he tells I think he even tells Ashton at some point I'll call him the general. He's not really a general, but he'll like that. <laughs> he'll appreciate it. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> General runs off after the young woman. Ashton remarks to R, oh, a, later ki a lady killer, eh? To which uh, R answers, not just ladies. <laughs> now, was this a, a, a like a, a bisexual reference or was he just... <laughs> no, seriously. It no, I think, this is, I think this is a, a 
like kind of a nod back to a few minutes ago where they're talking in the office and there's a sound. Well, he, so, and Ashenden says, once I find this man in Constantinople, what am I to do with him? And there's a sound and R says, that sounded just like a pistol shot, didn't it? So he doesn't say mm-hmm. you're going to kill this guy, but you can tell like that's what he's, he's implying. I think he's right. saying the same thing. He's not just a lady killer. He also kills men. Yeah. That's what I was but literally wondering. If, kills if, men. Yeah. If you think he, <laughs> If, is it just a take to the fact that yes, he's our assassin, or was that a to say that he will do anything I, for king and country? As as events unfold, I think the intention is the the former that he actually okay. does kill people too, as we find out he enjoys it. It, it the the scene and the line kind of took me aback, and I think you have to sort of <laughs> read into that the way it's the way it's presented. You kind of like. Wait a minute, what did he just say? He said you're not sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, we jumped to Ashton arriving in Switzerland and checking in at the Excelsior Hotel. He's again surprised to find out that his wife has already checked in. Good evening. You've got room for me, I believe. Oh, yes. My name is Ashton. I will see you. Ashton? Oh, yes, sir. Room 234 and 5, second floor, bedroom and sitting room. Will you sign your name? Okay. Sure. With private bars are those at first? Certainly, monsieur. Madame Ashenden has insisted on a private bar. Who? Madame. Your wife, monsieur. She arrived yesterday. You were not expecting her so soon. No, not quite so soon. <laughs> doesn't surprise for me, isn't it? Indeed, yes, monsieur. Mrs. Ashenden looking well? Madame looks ravissant, monsieur. Well, that is nice, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I love that. You were not expecting her so soon. No, not quite so soon. <laughs> <That's> so good. <laughs> she looking well? <laughs> she very. She's radiant. <laughs> oh, good, good. I love his face afterwards. He's like, hmm. <laughs> well, he heads to his room, uh, tripping on a, a German couple's, or well, tripping on a dog. In my notes, it was a German's couple, but it, actually, it was a, a British gentleman and a German woman. And he turns who, and speaks German to her. Yeah, so you might right. assume he was German. Mm-hmm. Ashton gets to his room and finds a man talking to a woman in that in the uh, in the uh, bathroom. Aren't you through with that bath? I'm trying myself. Good news. What are we going to do tomorrow? Why we? Why aren't you going out with me? Didn't you promise? What about a nice private picnic in the wood around here somewhere? Oh, lady, didn't I make any better hit with you than that? Hey, I'm a respectable married woman. I wouldn't know you 24 hours. Sure, that means in 48 you'll know me twice as well. By the end of the week? You looking for anybody around here? Yeah, only my wife. By the end of the week, what? A divorce, it looks like. Are you Mr. Ashenden? Guilty. Darling, you're here at last. <laughs> Angel, how well you're looking. Delicious. I hope you haven't been lonely. Oh, no. This gentleman and I picked each other up in the lounge yesterday, didn't we? Yes. A good angel threw us together. You've been well, most kind and entertaining. Mr. Roger Martin, isn't it? It sounds well the way you say it, but it's really Robert Marvin. Oh, oh pleased to meet you, Mr. Larkin. <laughs> How do you do, Mr. Ashenkamp? Well, well. well, I suppose it's time now for the triangle to retire from the family circle. Exit, uh, baffled. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, right away, those two play off each other they really do. well. This is, again, I think this is just one of those bits where 
Robert Mar- uh, Robert Marvin Robert Young as his real name is he's just so smooth like he mm-hmm. and he doesn't get ruffled by it he just keeps going he's just so fun to watch I think I read that uh, John Gilgood was a little hesitant to take this role because he felt that the um, well not to give away spoilers or anything but frankly he he just felt that he is the hero uh, felt that the Robert Young character uh, was written better than his. Than, than the, That's interesting. Than the character. Well, he, yeah. he certainly is smoother. More likable, I think, is what, yes. the, what I read. Is he, he thought the other guy was more likable, and he didn't think that was quite right. And he's certainly <laughs> very much, much more flirty. But, mm-hmm. you know, take into account that the character Marvin is an American, too. And that's kind of the the reputation Americans have during this time of being very flash and very, you know, offhanded and much more flirtatious. Whereas, you know, he's British, he's stodgy, you know, that's just their, what people expect them to be like. So it's interesting that he, he found that more appealing because during the era that this movie was made, that was kind of the way that people were leaning. Mr. Marvin leaves and Ashidan gets down to finding out exactly who this woman is. Turns out she's been assigned by R on the same job. Well, after that is all worked out, as well as the sleeping arrangements. Uh, <laughs> I love so. that. <laughs> she says, I have a note for you. It's in my bedroom. And he says, our bedroom. And she says, mine. You sleep there on the sofa. <laughs> <laughs> well, Elsa gives him this note, uh, which he, of course, has to decipher. Well, what does it say? Do you mind if I come in? You don't want the whole hotel to hear, do you? You don't mind my getting on with the day's work? No, not the least. I had to work it out. It's in code. I know. You opened it? Oh, very damn silly. Father concerns you, says, I'm making you a married man just to round off your new character. What else did it say? Your wife comes of fighting stock. A regular little fire eater, in fact. <laughs> I look to you to direct her energies into the right channels. Be as connubial as possible. Yours are. What does connubial mean? Axorius. What does that mean? Speak English. Affectionate in a big way. Oh. Well, that shouldn't be difficult. <laughs> I like, I like that she mentions at one point that she's read his books, so she knows who mm-hmm. he is. Yeah, I didn't mention the fact. I, I completely forgot to mention the fact that this soldier is also an author, a very, apparently a very popular and well-known author. Which is interesting, you think, if they're going to pick somebody, maybe not somebody quite so well-known. <laughs> yeah, maybe not someone that got their picture on the back of the Right? Books, you know? <laughs> maybe not. I don't know if they did that in 1960. Maybe they I'm, didn't do that in 1960. I have no idea. <laughs> well, probably not. Yeah, I'm guessing not. I guess there wasn't like slip covers. <laughs> but he may have been in the fo- in the papers and things. So yeah, it could possibly. Well, Ashley didn't ask Elsa why she took this job. She admits that she did it for the thrills. I did it for the thrills, Dad. I did it for the kicks. <laughs> not using those words, but right. <laughs> of course, <laughs> she wouldn't call him Dad. <laughs> Ashton seems a little worried about that. The thrills that she is seeking may not be all that glamorous. Because I, I get the impression that she is a civilian. Uh, she has no military background or anything. I don't know who, what her background was, but she was definitely, she said she wasn't, uh, he suggested that, well, if you wanted to do something, you could have been a nurse. And she's like, I'm not into that, you know, caring for other people and all that stuff, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so I get the feeling that she was just a civilian. Who knows what she did? She maybe did some clerical work or something. I mean, who knows? Uh, jobs for women in 1916 were probably few and far between. <laughs> They're very limited. So I'm very curious. It's kind of interesting that how you almost want another story about how she gets involved and how R recruits her. Mm-hmm. Where she came from. 
The general arrives and is immediately taken with Elsa. He has apparently been following her around, trying to show her some magic trick, and she is shocked to learn that he is their colleague. When the general finds out that the woman is not really Ashington's wife, but has been issued to him by R, the general throws a bit of a fit. Why hasn't he ever been issued a wife? Did you notice there's a little tiny cameo in this that's probably remarkable? Mm -hmm. Uh, As he's walking around throwing tantrums, he starts pulling all the toilet paper off the wall, and there's a toilet. (laughs) And I just thought, because we all, you know, everybody's heard, oh, the first flushing toilet is on Psycho, which of course is also, well, no, but that's not Alfred Hitchcock, is it? Psycho's Hitchcock, sure. Oh, it is. So there you go. So apparently Hitchcock is not only the the king of thrills, he's also the king of toilets in his films. Yeah, <laughs> it's he, pretty he unusual. Least, <laughs> he acknowledges that people have the bathroom. <laughs> Welcome to the, yeah. It's just, it's just funny. It's not like it's highly pointed out, but I, when I noticed it, it startled me, I guess you could say. You mm-hmm. don't usually see any films... Films don't usually take place in actual bathrooms. It might be a powder room or a dressing room, but in this right. area, you don't usually see it. So I just thought that was I, interesting. And honestly, some of the best, one of the, I think, best scenes or moments and some of the best little character moments and dialogue actually take place in this bathroom, in this scene. <laughs> with Ashidin talking to Elsa. Yes. And just the little things that he does, you know, he he sits down, he's like, oh, this bath is cold. And he gets up and he leans against like the, the, the radiator. Nope, this is too hot. And <laughs> the whole time while she's talking and they're talking, they're just having this very kind of organic, natural conversation. And then, yeah, the general throws his tantrum in the bathroom, and he's throwing things. He's peeling the toilet paper off the it's spool. So uh, and it's it, – it, and it's like you're thinking, this is in the bathroom. Yeah. <laughs> it's really – it's funny. It's really unusual, and it's not something any of us think of today until you think of it in the context of the era. I mean, our introduction to Elsa, she steps out of the bathroom just kind of wrapped in towels. Yeah, that's true. That's like in 1936. I'm like, should you just be coming out wrapped in a towels with two men in your room? Well, nominally in 1916. That's very uh, risque. But true. Oh, good point. Yes. Well, Ashton gets down to business. He and the general are going <laughs> to... Don't phrase it that way. <laughs> Actually starts business talk. <laughs> right. That might be better. I forgot that we were actually still in the bathroom. We are still in the bathroom. <laughs> well, Ashton and the general will be going to a nearby town to visit a church where an organist is a double agent. He may be able to lead them to the man they are after. Oh, see. Oh, I got a parenthesis here. Um, slap, slap. The slap. Yes. <laughs> So, yeah, so she she says, you know, of course, the whole time, and she says, you can keep talking to me if you don't mind if I get on with the day's work, and she starts putting her makeup on. And then at the end of it, she says, you know, well, what do you think of Mrs. Ashton now? You know, this is all done for your benefit. And he says, you're a bit fond of yourself, aren't you? And then she slaps him, and then he slaps her back. Yeah, and her comment is, oh, I guess the whole married thing has started. <laughs> well, yeah. What, your marriage isn't like that? <laughs> Oh, I'm kidding. Before anybody has a fit, before anybody freaks out, no, my husband has never slapped me, and I don't think I've ever slapped him. I may have done. Poor guy. (laughs) (laughs) No, of course. It it is interesting, because as soon as I saw it, I thought, oh, no, we're going to have to talk about this. And, Mm. um, you know, for her to slap him, we just take that for granted. But then for him him to slap her back, it's not like he he didn't ball his fist and, you know, wail on her or anything like that. Mm -hmm. Um, 
I, what what do you think I should think of it? <laughs> I, nothing. I think it's maybe it's one of those moments where it's a product of its time sort of thing. I agree. Unfortunately. It's an unfortunate product of its time. Well, and it's, I mean, even to say that, it's, I'm sure it was very shocking at that time for it to mm. happen within a relationship. Who knows if that was common in this era, um, in, in the era where spanking was possibly still happening as a punishment to a wife, who knows, but, uh, to show a man slapping a woman back on screen. I have to imagine that it was pretty shocking to see it. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we have to tiptoe so much today around, you know, equal rights and all that stuff. Which is not what this podcast is about, guys. So, <laughs> right. so to say, so I have to, I have to guess that it was as shocking then as it would be now. So, but I was, think the, uh, I think the, the direction of that shock would be more of like, oh, she shouldn't have done that, and oh, she got what she deserved. I, it's, I mean, it's an interesting. I can slur while I'm speaking. It's an interesting question to think about what it implies toward their relationship early on. Whether it means that they're comfortable with each other or that they right away don't like each other. Uh, it, it's, I guess, at best, I'd say it's confusing because mm-hmm. there's not. I didn't. I didn't think what he said was to, so terribly offensive that he deserved a slap for it. Right. No. <laughs> I just. I didn't. I thought. Yeah, well, that's what I thought. I thought, pfft. right? No, I agree. <laughs> so, I, yeah, I don't, I don't have a strong reaction toward it because I thought she overreacted. Although, do I think a man should ever hit a woman? No. Do I think a woman should ever hit a man? No. Yeah, I think a little bit of overreaction on both parties. There. Yes. Yeah. So, I, so maybe this is you know a conversation to have. What do you guys think? Is that? Well, you know, <laughs> what's, yeah. what's the reaction? That I I don't have a strong reaction to it because yeah, I didn't I didn't think of it literally. <laughs> I suppose. Okay. Well, well, let's move on then. Yeah. Let's. We next see a man selecting a particular candy bar from a stack and giving it to an older gentleman. The old man leaves and unwraps this bar. Uh, I should say the scene. I guess I should have mentioned that the scene changes to. I mean, literally, that is the next scene. Is this man selecting the bar? We don't even know where we are at (laughs) first. A bearded man goes into a chocolate bar. (laughs) We don't even see the bearded man go in. The next thing we see is the guy counting down the bars and pulling this particular bar out. Turns out we are in like a chocolatier, you know, a chocolate shop. Yum. The old man leaves with his bar and then wraps it throwing away everything but the wrapper. <laughs> the wrapper has a message in it, and it tells him that the man Brody, who was reported dead, has arrived on an espionage work, and that he, this person is to take steps. How did you like, I did like the fact that, you know, this note was in German, and they did a little fade to English so we could read it. They do this a couple of times in this movie, mm-hmm. and I, I like definitely that. like it. Yes, and so I love that you get the, the sense that it's written in German at first, and then you can understand it and read it for yourself. It's very interesting. Yeah, I like that much better than someone, you know, having, what, oh, having another person that would go, what does the note say? Yes, oh, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, we catch up with Ashton and the general at the church. The organ is playing a constant note. They try to get the organist's attention by lighting three candles, which is supposedly the, uh, the agreed-upon signal, but nothing happens. They finally approach the man uh, at the organ, and they find him dead from being strangled. In his, clutched, in his clutched hand, they find a button, torn, presumably, from the killer's clothes. This is one of those scenes that I, I think is so Hitchcock. 
Um, because, you know, you walk in and there's this long, really annoying kind of note. And you think yes. at some point somebody would say, what is going on with this? You know, <laughs> and it just persists and persists until they finally go over and they touch the man. And as he falls backwards, his hand comes off of the note and the music mm-hmm. stops. I, it's it's just it's the detail of the music staying, you know, where it's just right. annoying enough that it really catches your attention. It's just those little things that Hitchcock does. I love it. Yep, it's that little thing that you don't know isn't important yes. until it's important. Yeah. Exactly, and then it's the revealed. As the two of them try to leave, someone en- someone else enters the church. They run up some stairs and find themselves in the bell tower, which is unfortunate when this uh, man who came in begins ringing the bell to alert the town. Ashidan and the general realize that they will have to stay there for hours. I love the, the response to this. You know, they're having trouble speaking to each other, and finally Ashenden gets across that they're going to have to stay there. And then the general says, but your wife, she'll wonder what happened to her poor little general. <laughs> <laughs> it's like she won't even care. <laughs> it's another thing, too, it, and it's more kind of a, a Hitchcock thing, is that the, the bell is, is, is ringing the whole time, so you can barely hear these guys. Mm-hmm. They can't hear each other. They're having to yell into the ears, and so fun- the camera actually kind of zooms into them as one is sort of yelling into the other's ears, and even then, you can only barely make out what he says. Yeah, you really which kind of it pulls you into the into the scene into the exactly. film. Exactly, it makes you feel like you're right there. You don't think I'm sitting in a movie theater. You think, what is he saying? It's like you're leaning into. Yeah, exactly. Well, Elsa has been occupying her time by spending the evening out with Mr. Marvin. The two are on a sightseeing carriage ride. Marvin lays on the flirtation, but Elsa <laughs> stays faithful to her uh, quote-unquote husband. I love the part where he leans and he says something about giving her a kiss, and she leans her head all the way back. She's just like straying <laughs> nope, nope, away nope. from him. I love it so much. <laughs> Ashton and the general finally return to the hotel. The general claims that he's still blind in one of his ears. <laughs> The clerk gives Ashton the telegram. The man they are after will reportedly be leaving the day after tomorrow. It makes me wonder, if they know that much about this guy, like if there's that much detail that they know about it, why don't they know who it is? Yeah. <laughs> we know when he's leaving. We know where he is. Why don't we know who he is? <laughs> yeah, the, the, the little, the occasional telegrams and notes that show up either one way or the other uh, is sort of the one of the moments that where the the plot kind of has to show itself in this Mm -hmm. film at the casino marvin and elsa arrive mr marvin is trying everything (laughs) he can think of to put a hand on elsa i love that all of which is rebuffed she keeps shaking him off shaking him off giving him a glare i love it (laughs) i like the when he when he finally thinks he's got his like he tries to put his (laughs) arm through hers and he thinks he's finally got her and then she walks away and turns out all he's got is like a big loop of her dress (laughs) it's like a scarf feature or something on the dress it's it's a it's a wrap yes (laughs) is the technical word for it it's the wrap (laughs) mr marvin still not giving up bets a stack of chips on the number two at the roulette table two for twins which is what they'll have once they settle down (laughs) together elsa responds by betting her chip on zero (laughs) ashton and the general arrive while Ashton is showing Elsa the button they found, it is inadvertently knocked onto the betting table and onto the winning number. <laughs> the man running the table uh, asks around, who is it? And Mr. Marvin suggests it belongs to one of the other men, who sheepishly admits that it must be his as he checks his suit. Uh, this turns out to be the man with the dog we saw earlier. 
Yeah, he's wearing. I think he's wearing tweeds, and everybody mm-hmm. else is. is in a tuxedo. And the the it's a knot button, like the leather kind of knots. It's anybody that's looked up British tweed suits knows what I mean. Yes. <laughs> Ashton and the general think they may have found their man. The dog that was tied up outside and had previously been stepped on by Ashton <laughs> runs into the room, runs into the casino, barking. The casino man, um, maitre d', uh, I don't know what he is. A the manager? The casino manager. manager. Oh, you know, I'm here struggling <laughs> to think of, what. what is this guy? The manager, of yeah. course. Yes. <laughs> the casino manager. Uh, and the rest of it are, is quite upset at this dog being in the room. Mr. Marvin asks the owner what the trouble is, and Ashton joins him to try and uh, alleviate the uh, the apparent disaster. <laughs> this is such a great oh, scene. Monsieur, there's a sensor. Oh, anybody hurt? Poor dog's not doing any harm. Couldn't bite anybody if he tried. They're making a ridiculous fuss about the dog being in the casino. Oh, there there are. Are. What's the trouble? It seems the sausage hound has busted the regulations. Good heavens, how many of them? All of them, I guess. But are these the regulations governed by the Geneva Convention of 1864? Mais non, monsieur. They are the regulations of the casino. Have you got a copy of the regulations? There's no need. They are well known. He hasn't got a copy of the rules. Did you understand? You understand, sir, that under no circumstances whatever can we allow to have this dog molested unless you show us a copy of the regulations governing the transportation of livestock in this casino. Right. I would do the whole thing over again. Yes. You, you understand, understand Now I go immediately to my office, and then we shall see. Hey, Becker, comes my hair. Hey, qu'est-ce que c'est? Livestock. Uh, that's in doctor, Herr Director. I think Herr Director. I love how they mess with him. This is just the best scene between these two guys is right this moment when they're just playing off each yep. other. It's hilarious. Yes. They don't have a copy. Okay, now we say it together. <laughs> he hasn't got a copy of the rules. <laughs> it's so funny. I love it. And then, and then it, Capor, his name is Capor, Mr. Capor, is mm-hmm. uh, just standing there helplessly as these two guys are going back and forth with the manager. Yes. So and funny. getting a big kick out of it, too. I mean, oh, he's yes. He thinks it's hilarious. <laughs> it is hilarious. <laughs> well, everyone induce, in, introduces themselves, and Mr. Marvin suggests that they all get drinks. Mr. Caper uh, tries to decline, as he's not exactly dressed for a party. He's been out climbing all day near the village that Ashton and the general uh, found the dead man. They, he doesn't say that. That's just, I, I don't know what <laughs> the village is, but it's a short. It's Langenthal, um, actually. <laughs> He's Langenthal, been climbing near Langenthal. <laughs> which happens to be, uh, yeah, the village of Langenthal, which happens to be where the Ashington and the general found the dead man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, by the way, where you were at. <laughs> so now they are positive that this is their guy. Well, everyone sits down for a drink and joining Mrs. Caper as well. And uh, Ashton and the general fake an argument. But yeah, I'll have a double gin tonic. I refuse to discuss the matter any further, general. That's quite enough. It is not enough. Me just beginning. Boy, how about a nice, friendly little drink? Pull yourself together, general. Don't make a scene. Shut up, you hear? Me not shut up. Hey, what's the trouble? Me not shut up? It doesn't matter. It's nothing at all. It's perfectly all right. I'd like a cognac. It is not all right. He insults me in very big way. He says this thing is nothing. I say this thing is very big something. You bet your sweet little life. Now, now, General, really. No, 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 no. I make the propuesta that we should climb mountain all together. He says me not fit for mountain climbing because I only think on beautiful women. Now, that is too much. Yeah, General, all I said was that you couldn't go climbing mountains and taking your beautiful women with you. No, that's all. Sure, that's all, General. He was only joking. Forget it. Don't be so touchy, General. Me touchy as much as I want. 
I bet you five English pounds that I can climb mountains much higher than you can. Oh, don't be so silly. Go on, Ashton. He's called your bluff. No, 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 but it's ridiculous to take a joke like this. You see, serious. you see, you see? He's making the climb out. <laughs> you mean the back down. That's what I said. Well, it's a bit, is it? All right, I'm on. Fine. Ladies and gentlemen, the fight's on. All we need now is a little mountain. Well, this leads Mr. Caper offering to guide them the, on the next day on their climb. And this whole time, El, you know, as the, Elsa knows what's going on and she keeps mm-hmm. like, she gets more and more excited and more and more interested as, you know, they're kind of winding him into this plan. And right. it's it's kind of, gro- it's not grotesque. It's kind of, um, what's the word I want? Uh, it's awful. It's kind of horrific. Like she's so interested in this working so that she can, you know, see the excitement of them having to kill somebody. Well, and these are, these are the thrills that she was seeking. Yuck. <laughs> Yuck. <laughs> well, Mr. and Mrs. Ashington have a dance and Elsa raves about how wonderful Ashington was and how Caper fell for it. Ashton is a bit put off with Elsa's enjoyment of the whole situation and her being disappointed that she will have to stay behind mm. with Mrs. Caper. He tells her that what, what they are doing, they are doing for the war, but it is still murder of an old man, mm. a married man. The next day, the three men take to the mountain while Elsa and Mrs. Caper spend some time together. Mrs. Caper tries to teach Elsa a little German. They start with the days of the week when Mr. Marvin shows up and asks to join the class. (laughs) While this goes on, the dog starts to get a little bit upset and starts to claw at the door. And these scenes are intercut with the men on their hike. Ashton tries to back out of killing Caper, even trying to talk Caper from going any further. But the general insists. I think at this point, I don't know if Ashton's losing his nerve or if he's starting to think that maybe this isn't the guy. I think he just doesn't like the idea of murder. Caper and the general go on, and Ashton hikes to a nearby observatory. At the hotel, the dog begins to act frantic. In the observatory, Ashton watches as the general reaches out from behind Caper. He watches through a, uh, a through telescope. a telescope mm-hmm. as he reaches out. And this is another great little Hitchcock playing with the camera because the camera you all you you see the telescope looking out through the window and then the camera pans so it's like looking into the telescope mm-hmm. and then suddenly you can see what the telescope is seeing mm-hmm. another really great little you know Hitchcock playing with the camera kind of mm-hmm. thing it is Washington well, watches the general reaches out from beh- uh, from behind to caper and Ashton cries out for caper to watch out in the hotel the dog lets out a mournful cry that this whole sequence will put you on the edge of your seat. It is. It's so intense. And I think it's probably the most intense scene of any of Hitchcock's early films. It's just, mm. it's in Elsa's response as this dog becomes more and more agitated. She knows what's going on. Mm-hmm. And so she, she understands well, at least why she thinks this dog is becoming so agitated and she can't say anything and she's having trouble responding. And it, you know, you you get the ins- you get the sense that she's finally beginning to understand what it really is like, knowing that somebody's going to die and not stopping it. It's yes. very, it's just super intense. And, and uh, with the with the dog. This, oh gosh, yeah. <laughs> you know, be, being a dog person and having you know a dog that like follows me around like he's my shadow. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, oh my god, this is what my dog would do if someone was going to throw me off a mountain. Well, probably not <laughs> quite literally, but in this case, it's just it, it is. It's super sad. Uh, mm-hmm. I had I had flashbacks to um, return to me. 
<laughs> with a mini driver where the dog dies and or not the dog the wife dies and the dog just stays at the front door all the time so tragic and i thought this poor dog not only is this poor old man's wife being left alone but she's gonna have to deal with looking at this dog every day and thinking how much it loves her husband it's it really is it's very intense and it, you know for for a movie made in 1936 we don't think that it can be that emotional or that, that it could be that intense but it is it's much more intense than most of the stuff they do these days Oh, absolutely. It was, it, it's a fantastic, just, it's, it's a great sequence. And it it, you just feel terrible when that dog lets out that final oh, gosh, cry. Yeah. I was like, oh my God. You almost mm -hmm. have to like pause for a little bit and kind of, you know, re regain your composure before mm -hmm. moving on. Mrs. Caper realizes that something must have happened to her husband and she begins to cry. Elsa, knowing, knowing that something has happened to him, does the same. That night, Ashydin and Elsa are at a festival of some kind. Elsa is very quiet and withdrawn. The general arrives, telling him that the police inquiry went fine, a very unfortunate accident. The general gives Ashydin a telegram from the hotel. Ashydin leaves the table to decode it, while the general flirts with a girl at the next table. And Elsa continues to look like she is going to be sick. <laughs> It's a good way to describe it. <laughs> I kept thinking, what is it? What is it she looks like? What's a good way to do it? Yeah, she looks like she's going to be sick. She looks like she, if, uh, she probably hasn't eaten anything, and that's a mm -hmm. good thing. Yeah. Ashenden returns uh, and tosses the decoded message onto the table. It tells them that the info sent back to R was received and that they are after the wrong man. The general finds this hilarious. <laughs> Elsa leaves the table and heads to a ferry boat, getting ready to depart. Ashenden follows and joins her. Lovely place with Flynn, isn't it? So gay, such charming people. I think I've ever met so many really charming people in one place. I love them all, especially generals. I think generals are so, so funny, don't you? Elsa, And there's nothing more I've got to say. I hope you want to be very schoolgirlish, but... I would like to tell you how, how wonderful it's been meeting you, Mr. Ashenden. I'd often wonder what you were like, of course, but now I know. I really know. Think of that. Shut up. For God's oh, sake. I believe you're trying to snub me. Please don't. I'm being terribly sincere about all this. In fact, I'm really quite shameless. I'm going to tell you a secret. I fell in love with you at first sight. Not just a crash, but a crash. Doesn't that amuse you? I thought it would. I've been so thankful to my love for you. I can't tell you how unkind I've been to poor Marvin. I can tell it's over now. I see. It's over. Isn't it funny? Oh, sort of never could end, but it has. Aren't you glad? It's so boring being idolized. Oh, yes, of course I'm glad. Because after this you'll be able to treat the whole thing just as an ordinary job, something you're paid for. You are paid a salary, I suppose. Oh, yes, that's what I'm doing it for, money, didn't you know? You know it isn't. Yes, it is, I tell you. <laughs> and it, somehow, I, I don't like murder at close quarters as much as I expected. Or murderers, for that matter. The childish of me. I don't like them much either, as a matter of fact. Oh, don't make me laugh. This is, I think this is one of the scenes that tells you what a good actress she is. Because, she, because Elsa's so upset and she does 
I think what most people do, she just like has a little freak. She just like just mm-hmm. goes off the edge. And, you know, she's trying so hard to keep her composure that it finally just breaks down. After Elsa says that she is no fan of murderers, Ashenen admits that he isn't very fond of them either. He didn't do the deed. He wasn't there. But he still blames himself. Elsa asks if the two can't just give it all up. The two kiss, and Ashenen admits that he loves her too. <laughs> the next morning, the truly loving couple have composed a letter of resignation, including the postscript that re- uh, postscript to R that reads that if R needs a successor, they can provide a name of a reliable butcher. <laughs> the phone rings. Well, they say ring, but oh my God, can you imagine? The phone, it just buzzes constantly. <laughs> and uh, it's Mr. Marvin on the other end. Hello. Mm-hmm. Yes? Oh. Is that the ugliest woman in the world? Who is it? Your hated rival. They're all my hated rivals. Which one is it this time? Marvin. Yes. Yes, thanks. Much better. Yes, all alone. The neglected wife, as usual. Yes, you have my permission to spill it. That's very sudden and... uh, Shattering. Shattering for a girl. Yes. Oh, I'm afraid I can't. If I promised my husband I'd... Oh, you better not let him hear that. You can cut out that Darby and Joan stuff. You see, I know your husband. And look what you're passing up. Me. A caveman with a college education. What more do you want, for heaven's sake? You're breaking my back. Well, this is my last word. Listen. Pardon me while the brain reels. Our first kiss. Or am I just goofy? Was that really you? Yes, my love. Not off, it wasn't. Hey, what's the idea? Whom have I been kissing? Hold on, here's your little Elsa. Oh. <laughs> Hello. Is that you at last? Let me get this straight. Whom have I been kissing? You or the old man? <laughs> Very well, I'm satisfied. Now get me. This, madam, is the end. So long and goodbye. And may you have quintuplets. You know, I'm quite sorry for that chap. I believe he's really fond of you. <laughs> who, who have I been kissing? <laughs> <laughs> was that you? Yes, it was. <laughs> so after all this playful banter, Mr. Marvin says that he says his final goodbye. The general lets himself in. The two tell the general that they have resigned, which uh, seems to disturb the general. There is a look on his face mm-hmm. that makes me wonder if the general has orders that Ashidan and Elsa aren't aware of. You know, like I was saying before, what would happen if Ashidan had said no? Mm-hmm. You get the feeling that maybe if Ashidan tries to back out, he's not going home. Mm-hmm. Uh, the general, I think, well we'll, well, we'll talk about the general later when we're all done with this, <laughs> I think. Well, and he does say here, what if Art does not accept your resignation? You know, like, mm-hmm. he's kind of hinting, like, you really want to think about this before you decide to do it. But I do love at this point, Ashenden says, he says, fighting in the line is a darn sight cleaner job than this. You know, it's, it's different right. shooting at somebody that's shooting back at you as opposed to just killing somebody without them knowing. 
The general convinces Ashiden to leave with him. Elsa begs him to stay, but he goes anyway. This scene with Elsa being concerned that he's leaving the room with the general, and after the general's look, which neither of the two saw, but we did, Mm -hmm. and you definitely get that feeling like, no, don't go with him. (laughs) <laughs> you know, this is this is not good. It's so funny. Well, she definitely feels uneasy about it. But, you know, yes. she had this hope just moments ago. They were going to leave. They were going to get together. She was going to end up with this man that she loves, and they're going to be happy. But now he's getting sucked back into it, and she knows this can't end well. Because the direction mm-hmm. that it's going, he's going to end up having to kill somebody, and he's not going to be the man that she loves right now. So, you know, it's interesting. There are different ways you can take it, I think. But, yeah. but any time that a woman says, no, stay with me, and a guy goes anyway that's the look the woman has <laughs> it's, yes, okay. that's always that look and that's the feeling she portrays it well the general takes him uh, through the hotel to a room with I think this was the woman he was flirting with the other night yes it is <laughs> Yeah, this new lady friend has some interesting info how have you been all the time I brought your very fine gentleman friend of mine to see you oh why have you come into my bedroom I'm here I'm a nice girl so I got her. How do you do? Isn't she sweet? Please sit down. Thank you. Your secretary general, I suppose. Uh, no. Yes, my private secretary. Isn't she sweet? sweet? Oh, come on, come on, general. What's it all about? There is very much all about. You wait and see. You see, last night we met in the guest house. I play my little penny game with her. So we get acquainted very quickly. Of course, you would. <laughs> we also talk. Afterwards. Oh, I wonder what about. Little conversation. She tells me about her fiancé. What, is he here too? Oh, oh no, 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 no. He works in chocolate factory on the top floor. But he's in big money. He makes about four times as big money as any other clerk. And here I come to the point. I can't believe it. You see, this chocolate factory is not only factory, but it is also, and now you will see, that me very first cut bloodhound, that me big patriot. You know what it is? You know? No, 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 I don't know. It's the big German spy post office. You mean the Clearinghouse for Information? Yes, exactly. But secret, very secret. No one knows. Even manager does not know. Only one or two workmen know. Including her boyfriend, I suppose. Exactly. I love it that he says, you know, is your, she says, his, says her fiancé works at a chocolate shop. And, he, and Ashenden says, is he here too? And she's, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> no, no, he's not here. <laughs> so, and thanks to this woman's boyfriend, they may have a real solid lead to find out who, this, who the agent is. Ashenden phones Elsa. He has to follow this lead. But he doesn't give her any real information. Elsa cuts up the letter of resignation. The two men begin a tour of the chocolate factory. They're spotted by one of the workers, who sends a message off along with a box of chocolates down the assembly line. The general sees this and tries to intercept it, but is too late. Another man gets the note, which tells him that two English spies are there, and he's to call the police anonymously. The police are called, and men dispatched. It's worth mentioning before now, they've, they've already said that, you know, Switzerland is a neutral zone. If you're mm-hmm. caught by the police as a spy, you'll be arrested and you yeah. know, who knows what else. So this is, this is their worst fear. While this is happening, Elsa has written a note saying goodbye to Ashington. She feels he was just pretending to want to quit. Back at the factory, we see the young woman give the message to her boyfriend about the 5,000 francs that the two men will pay for the information. He sets off to find them, but before he can make contact, the general spots police arriving. 
He tells Ashington and then fakes choking so Ashington can get near an alarm, which he sets off. The workers all make for the exit, blocking the police. Ashington and the general run for it, being chased by the boyfriend, which they don't know, of course. <laughs> it's the boyfriend. <laughs> and the general gives him a good punch on the nose. He does eventually catch up to them and is able to tell them who he is. They pay the money, and he gets the paper with their spot with the, the spy's name. The man they're after is Mr. Marvin. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> you need that music. Yes. This is where I'm going to stop the synopsis, actually. Because we, believe it or not, we've only got about 18 minutes of the film left. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't give it away. There's no way. I, 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 don't, I don't want to give away what happens. No, it's, it's worth watching. It's 100% worth watching. This is one of Hitchcock's early films, and it is such a good one. I wasn't even sure if I wanted to give away what the note said. I was like, okay, do I... But I think that's just a good, you know... I have one more sentence in my notes after that. So <laughs> if it had been me, I might have given you guys just a little tiny bit more tidbit. But suffice it to say that this is where things get hot. <laughs> yes, oh, absolutely. This has been fantastic. This is, I think, fantastic as an early Hitchcock because you see a lot of what you kind of what you know Hitchcock for. Mm -hmm, iconic Hitchcock moments, or H H Hitchcock style. His style, his camera work, mm -hmm. um, his characters. The, the, the zooms and the pans, the, the use of sound. The, yes. The kind of, I, I, that's pretty much it. <laughs> yeah. Well, the use the of sound, how he immerses the audience <laughs> into, the, into the film. So you are experiencing yes. what you know, everyone else is experiencing yes. when they're in the factory. There's a lot of noise. I mean, it's mm -hmm. all these belts and wheels and things running and you can't hear anything. It's just, it's just a cacophony of noise mm -hmm. and that's what's going on. Well, and it's interesting. Uh, it's, it's light on dialogue, but what dialogue there is, is always either amusing or useful. And when in the parts that there is no dialogue, there's always something else going on to block that or some action that prevents the need for dialogue. So every minute of this film, I, I can't think of any minute in this film that is superfluous, that isn't, if not amusing, necessary. Yeah, and even the, there, there are scenes where I or think... Or if not you, necessary, amusing, sorry. <laughs> I think there are scenes, too, where you might think that they're not necessary, but just wait. Exactly. You know, and then they're, then they're that much more important. Like when he trips over the dog. And exactly. You think, and, and you're like, wait, then you don't see these people again for 20, 30 minutes. And you're like, why, you know, what in the world was the dog about? But it turns out to be important. Exactly. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about some of the, the um, you know, the characters here. You've obviously, I mean, you've, you've said how much you, uh, Elsa is just a fantastic, she's a <laughs> typical kind of strong Hitchcock blonde. She is, and she's she's strong and amusing and feminine at the same time. Yes, um, the, there's you. There's no point where you feel sorry for her because she's helpless, um, and yeah, and she's got a great character. She's not just this like, for lack of a better word, this butch girl that's like trying to be tough and angry. She's just this very, you know feminine person <laughs> I, I enjoy her she's she's not a stereotype i think um not not in the sense that i typically think of them anyway she's not a mary sue or yeah mary sue i think they call them you know and she's not i don't know a bodacia or whatever <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> but she's you know she's emotional but also tough so i enjoy her a lot as a character. i love 
uh, Madeline Carroll and how she plays with both uh, both Marvin and Ashington. Mm-hmm. Uh, just the, the 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 character, how they play off each other, maybe Their in a little different ways depending on the situation. And but they still, it always just feels so natural. Yeah, it's well, just, yeah. these are conversations that these people would be having. And there's a scene that comes up uh, that I'm not going to tell you guys about, but it's so uh, relatable. You know, when you're in that emotional state where you're trying to be tough but just totally falling apart. And I think she mm-hmm. does that in a, a couple of times in this movie. And yes. and I really enjoy her because she's so relatable. So what did you think about uh, John Gilgood's Oh, Ashy love him. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> did you want to finish that question? Nope, no, I, th- nope. I think he's phenomenal. He's he's that stalwart British agent, you know, that that we imagine when we think of that type of person. He's not an American spy. He's British, you know? Mm-hmm. And I, I, I think he's iconic. I think he's a gentleman. And at the same time, he's, you know, he's serious. And he's just very British. So <laughs> right. definitely enjoy him. Did you find him less likable than our villain, though? Which was what Gilgood kind of had an issue with. It depends on who you are. Um, as an American myself, uh, I, yeah, of course, I'm going to be drawn to the dude with the accent. <laughs> so, <laughs> but, I mean, you know, there's, there's theory out there, of course, that Brits are attracted to an American accent. So it, as much as I love... Um, well, that's probably a lie, but go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> as much as I enjoy Robert Young, and I really do, um, he, he's, he's, he, for lack of a better word, he's a little smarmy in this. I mean, he's hitting on a married yes. woman, so he's not a good guy. You already no, know that. No, no, not at all. <laughs> um, I mean, it, you know, as far as he knows, she's a happily married woman, and he's still hitting on her. So, no, I think, um, you know, uh, getting back to that slapping conversation, that might be the one <laughs> instance where it is appropriate. <laughs> so, uh, I, you know, to say is he more likable or not, he's certainly interesting. But, um, no, I, I thought... You know, they they are true to their characters and to their position in the story. Now, the general. Now, like I was saying before. Speaking of smarmy. (laughs) The best description I have for him is I think that the general is a psychopath, but he's our psychopath. (laughs) Um, I can see that. He is. There's nothing appealing about him at all. There's Mm-mm. nothing to like about him. Um, he is crass. He's loose. He's murderous. Uh, he, he's off. Callous. He's callous. Um, so yeah, there's, there's, an, and from the perspective that that is who he is meant to be, he's perfect. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. He is. He's just a womanizing murderer. And you, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I think he's just, he's a horrible, disgusting ver- kind of a human being. Vermin, but like yeah. I said, I think I think he works for the British government. Like I said, because he's their psychopath. Yes, you know. Yeah. So as long as he, he's the as long man. as they pay him, you know, he'll he, he's just he's fine. Yeah, as long as he gets to kill somebody once a week, he's happy and chase exactly. women the rest of the time. 
<laughs> but he's the kind of person that had if he survives to the end of the war, you know, he's not going to have a place in society. Exactly. And, you know, that's when the government decides that, you know, you need to be locked up or you yeah. need to be dealt with. <laughs> have an accident. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, as as Peter Lorre playing a character, he's phenomenal because he's exactly mm-hmm. what he's meant to be. You can't stand him and you're not supposed to. No, that, that, that's what's great. I think that was what's great about Peter Lorre. That's what's great about this character because there are moments when you think, "Oh my gosh, he's so funny, he's so likable," and there's other moments <laughs> where, you're like, "Oh my god." Well, and then the next terrible. second, he, yeah, the next second yeah. he turns around and says something just despicable. Fantastic, well acted all the way around. It's amazing that we have effectively a cast of let's see, six people if you mm-hmm. count uh, Mr. and Mrs. Caper, mm-hmm. uh, seven if you count the dog. <laughs> 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 it is a very tight cast, uh, a fantastic script. Mm-hmm. Um, it surprisingly, it's just a really enjoyable film. That's mm-hmm. it is. It's one that I'm always happy to go back to. It's right there with Thirty Nine Steps. You know, it's it's funny. I think I'm sure I mentioned it before, but I find Hitchcock's earlier films much more enjoyable than its later ones because inevitably there's a romance in it, and in and there's you know. This is no exception. There's a romance. There's a mystery. There's spies. There's danger. There's rock climbing. <laughs> well, it's, yeah. their version, <laughs> their version, their of, version of climbing is just—it's more like a hike. Hike, but, yeah. But it's you know, it's there's a love triangle. There's it. There, it's just it has everything that you want in a story. It you know it and it has character growth and it has. Uh, it has real genuine danger to the characters, not perceived danger. So I think it's I think it's phenomenal, mm-hmm. and it's I think it's iconic of Hitchcock during this era. I think it is probably his best movie during this time. Well, I, I think it's interesting. Like I was saying before, is you're you're seeing a lot of what will become sort of Hitchcock staples. But in mm-hmm. this stage of his career, he's experimenting. Yes, and, and I, I love it's that. It's fun to see him play with the camera and yes. play with the, the scenery and play with the sound. Well, and it's it's interesting because we talk a lot about his directing in terms of the technical aspects, but we're so impressed with these actors and actress, but they were all following his direction too. So mm -hmm. for him to take even a phenomenal group of people and have this entire movie be so seamless, I think is just speaks volumes to how great of a director he was even at this time. You know, maybe the bell wasn't really ringing. Yeah. But I, <laughs> yeah, I would imagine that the chocolate factory was probably just as noisy as it sounds, mm-hmm. and they have to convey everything through their actions because mm-hmm. they their voice won't work, mm-hmm. and they can do it. Peter Lorre and uh, Gilgood uh, do that. Uh, everyone in the scene does it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that's. I, I mean, that just shows the level of actors. Yeah, and you're never confused about what's going on in the movie. No, exactly. Even when there is no dialogue, you're you're not left in the dark. <laughs> yeah. So on a scale of one, we sorry we brought it up, and five, <laughs> you can't possibly go any longer without seeing this. Where does the secret agent fall for you, Lydia? I, I think I want you to go first on this one, actually. I was really hoping you wouldn't say that. <laughs> I could give you a number, but I'm waffling. So when I finished watching it again today, um, mm-hmm. I thought, oh, four, easy four. But, you know, we always talk about how as we're going through and discussing it, you know, our opinion always seems to change a little, go up or go down. And um, I, I, I want to give it a five. <laughs> I really, really okay. do. But, but I'm not sure it deserves a five. <laughs> 
<laughs> um, for, from the perspective of should you go see this movie, should you you know download it, rent it, buy it, absolutely 100% get this movie. It's phenomenal. Um, especially if you love classic film. Um, you know, and like, as you said, it's, it's Hitchcock and it's Hitchcock while he's still experimenting and doing fun things. And there's not anything missing and there's not anything extra from an, so from an editing perspective, from a story perspective, it's definitely a five. Um, the only reason I might say it's not a five is I can't think of a reason. <laughs> but then I'm nervous to give anything a five because that, you know, just basically says, oh, this is the best movie we've watched this year. So, um, so I th- I'm very happy with a four and a half. Okay. And I don't, I feel like there's something I'm forgetting that should bump it down a little bit. So if I say four and a half, I'm like, okay, I'm probably accounting for whatever it is that I'm probably forgetting. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah, I, with you, I mean, when I sat down, I, I was actually thinking I would rate this one even a, a little lower, probably a lot lower than you would expect. And But then after going through the synopsis and discussing some of the things with you, I was like, wow, no, that really was good. Or, oh, <laughs> you can take that in a couple different ways. Mm-hmm. Elsa's uh, reaction when uh, he leaves the room, my mm-hmm. initial thought is she thinks the general's going to kill him. There's mm-hmm. a chance he's not. he's never coming back. But you bring up the fact that, no, this could be just her dreams are being crushed by the man going off to be a spy again. I hadn't considered that before. Well, yeah, the, like, the night, yeah, the night before he says, I fell in love with you at first sight too. But then the next morning he's not even willing to stick around. What the yeah. heck? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then, I mean, honestly, the relationship, I have a trouble with the relationship like I do with any of these, these films. When you have to try to build in a, a love story in an hour and a half, mm-hmm. it, it's a kind of a, a love story of convenience. Mm-hmm. Oh, it was love at first sight. Oh, me too. Well, that was convenient, mm-hmm. you know, because uh, you don't have time to sit down and, and and have your characters spend time together and know each other. I mean, they, they don't know each other, but somehow they, they love each other. But she's read his books. Well, okay. <laughs> and and let's be honest here. Now, do men really fall in love with anything besides a woman's looks? <gasps> That's, there you go. That's oh. true. <laughs> I'm going to get so much hate mail from that. This is the episode <laughs> I get hate mail from, ladies. All right. <laughs> Well, in this instance, I think that's a little bit of what is going on. He, mm-hmm. yeah, she knows him through his books, and she's a and gorgeous she's woman, yeah. and so that's enough. They're like, well, I'm middle aged. What the heck? It's not like I'm, you know, <laughs> these women aren't just throwing themselves at me all over the place, you know. Maybe so. Like I said, it's a relationship of convenience, mm-hmm. and that, but that's just that has to happen in, in movies, and mm-hmm. un- it's unfortunate. I don't want to ding it just for that i'm not i mean i i just think there are other moments where uh, and i won't even say that i won't say there's moments that that, that bring it down uh, i just i'm i'm happy with a four i think after mm-hmm. discussing it and and thinking about it, i'm ha- very happy with a good solid four <laughs> I, I don't think it's a five uh, it is a great film it's entertaining it's it if you're a hitchcock fan it's a absolutely, absolutely. a must watch i think even if you're not a hitchcock fan even if you like i said I don't care for his later films per se, but his early ones I do, and I think this is at least one of the best, if not the best. I almost have to go back. I'm trying to think if I liked it more or less than 39 Steps. I'd have to rewatch 39 Steps again. It's more technical, um, so you know, like we're t- at least I, to my mind, it is. You've got more of the pans, you've got more of the zooms, you have more of the interference with sound, that kind of thing. But 39 Steps came after it, I believe. It did. Mm-hmm. So, so it's kind of one of those. I, or no, I think no, it came before. 
did it. Yeah, I'm, I now I have Madeline, to look it up. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, um, it came before because that was the first film that Madeline Carroll did for Hitchcock. It makes sense that he's experimenting more in this and that we're seeing a different kind of angle of it. So if, so it's easy. I think you could definitely say if this came after and he's being more experimental, which I think he is, that mm-hmm. you could say this is the better one. Yeah, okay, possibly. A solid. So four and a half for you, a solid four for me. Uh, both very good ratings and absolutely a recommended watch. And the quality of some of the prints, unfortunately, it's a little tough to find something good. Um, you know, obviously, it's on several different YouTube pages. It is available on Amazon Prime. Uh, some of the sound, I think I have an issue more with some of the sound of uh, some of these prints. It can be rather muddy, and some of the dialogue is super fast. And it it's is. A little, it's a little the- tough to to kind of get everything everybody's saying because it is a, you know, it's, mono sound getting shoved through your high def stereo speakers and it's an 80 year old film yes (laughs) well and it's it's a movie you know like the lady eve or others from that era the dialogue is very quippy and it's very intelligent you're gonna Mm -hmm. have to see it several times to pick up stuff you mentioned things that even i hadn't heard and i've seen it many times uh i have it on a disc as i mentioned and and it's a fairly good quality i think found actually one on um daily motion actually has a version which i got the impression it might have been like a dvd rip because i think you could occasionally see the little uh the little watermark show up oh. in the corner and it might have been I, I forget the name of the uh, the company but I, so it was probably a dvd rip from something but it that was probably the best quality that i could find um i mean i went ahead and posted it on our youtube uh page I found as good a quality and cleaned it up as best I could, but it's not as good as what you what was on the the, the Daily Motion site. <laughs> but it's out there, so if you if you want to find it, um, yeah, definitely dig it up. Mm-hmm. I think it's really cheap. If you want to just go ahead and try to get a, a, a you know a DVD of it, Amazon's got it for like eight bucks. Yeah, there are definitely places you can get it for very inexpensive. Yeah. I just don't know the quality of that particular DVD. I'm sure this has been released many times from yeah. <laughs> many different distributors, and the quality is going to be, you know, it, it's going to change. Hopefully the DVD is better than the version that they actually have on Amazon Prime because it's <laughs> not much better than what you're going to find anywhere else online. I guess that's it. So quality, iffy uh, in most places. Maybe it's worth uh, digging up and paying the money for a disc for it. If you can get a compilation set like uh, Lydia has, yes. I think that would be the way to go. Absolutely. So, yeah, so that is going to do it. Any feedback or comments on this or any other episode, send them to orphanentertainment at gmail.com or swing by the Facebook group and leave a comment there. I think that is going to do it. Lydia, as always, thank you so much. I uh, tell you what, I enjoy watching these films, but I've said it a million times <laughs> and I'll say it a million more. I enjoy discussing them with you even more. Absolutely. Thanks for listening, everybody. We will see you in about another month. Bye, all. Bye.